you start going astray and you're headed for disaster. He sees that. So what's he do? In his mercy, he stands right in front of you like a wall and opposes what you're doing, the behavior that is taking you down that path. That, it's all mercy again. It's all goodness. Last week, we discussed how God is good and trustworthy, even when our circumstances challenge us to think otherwise. But what about when it isn't our lives, but God's own word about himself that makes us question his character? Because the Bible is full of pictures of a God of wrath and a God of anger, and many people can become uncomfortable or even untrusting of God because of these revelations about himself. But a right understanding of this aspect of God is vital to knowing and to loving Him. It's vital to living a life of victory. Today we have both Steve and Kathy Gallagher in the studio, and each of them helps shed some light on this often misunderstood aspect of God. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Purity for Life. In Psalm 18, David says this about the Lord's anger. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. God's anger and wrath can leave us uncomfortable and even terrified before him. And if we remain there, will inevitably turn away from him or create a false image of him that's more comfortable to deal with. But the anger and the wrath of the Lord is yet another reason we can trust his character. It's another reason we can trust him to help us in our time of need. I don't think we'll even scratch the surface of this immense subject today, but I do hope that as we dive into it, it will help you to draw near to him. And to start off, we have Pastor Steve in the studio with us to help bring a bit more clarity onto the subject of God's anger. One of the things that the Bible says about the Lord is that he is good and righteous in all of his ways. And I know that there are some people who cynically look at the Old Testament, for example, and see stories or Uh, pictures of God's justice and his anger, and they use that as an excuse to say, how could he be? How could he be good and righteous? And I've heard you speak really passionately about God's anger, his justice, his wrath, things that we might see at times as being more on the negative side of God's character. But I've also observed that you don't have any struggle with believing that God is abundantly good, he's yearning to pour out his love and his blessings on man. And so how is it that you're able to hold those two aspects of God's character in your mind without them contradicting each other? Yeah, and to me, there is no contradiction. But let me just say, the reason I preach so much about God's justice and his wrath and so on is because it's not being preached in the church. Mm. And secondly, because my primary audience are people who are being dominated by sin. Yeah. So those are very important subjects to address. Okay. Uh, but as far as the Lord is concerned, I know him 
I know him, and I feel like I know him pretty well, uh, you know, humanly speaking. He is good in all his dealings, and his goodness in Old Testament Scripture is depicted as a perfect balance between truth and mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the Old Testament, you see those pictures of God's justice and mm-hmm. his wrath and so on. But why? The reason that you see him pour out his wrath on nations and people is because there comes a point where he has to protect other people, and that Mm. is the mercy. Mm. You know, when you have ruthless people, you know, knifing pregnant women, Mm. throwing babies against walls, I mean, that's the kind of typical stuff that would happen with the Assyrians and Babylonians Mm -hmm, and nations mm -hmm. like that. So when the Lord brought judgment against those kinds of nations— it's because of his goodness, because mm. he's just like, okay, I can't let this continue on. So that is very real to me. When I think about the Lord, he is pure goodness, you know, and yes, he's got the side to him that is just, but but he is absolute pure goodness. What's in his heart is to do goodness to people all the time, mm-hmm. but Here's one of our biggest problems is that we tend to think in the temporal, and God is thinking always the big picture, and he's thinking the eternal picture. So when he's dealing with, let's say, believers in certain ways, it's because he's thinking of what's good for them eternally. Mm-hmm. He's looking at them, okay, while they're here for you know, living the Christian life for 30, 40 years, whatever, but... What happens in that 30, 40 years is going to be with them forever. Mm-hmm. And so he sees that as enormous mm-hmm. compared to that you know, tiny little speck of time while we're on earth. So his, his goodness always takes into account the big picture and the eternal picture. Mm. I'm glad that you mentioned the Old Testament because I think that there are a lot of people who they hear, suppose, you know, that God says, I'm good in all my ways, but then they look back and they cynically say, oh, well, what about the Old Testament? And I think those same people would probably look at our modern world and say, well, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen to people? Why are there national disasters? Why whatever it is that seems to contradict the character of God so let's take it out of the theological sense and let's make it really personal. Why are we so quick to accuse God when we suffer? Well, let me just say, first of all, that the word you used earlier is the perfect word, cynically. Hmm. You know, people who don't take the time to really study what was happening in the Old Testament times, mm-hmm. they just grab a hold of some thing they've heard that God, you know, um, ordered Saul to destroy all the Amalekites, that sort of thing. They just grab something like that in their humanistic version of mercy and goodness. They just think that God should be good to everyone all the time, mm. not taking into account, like I said before, what people were suffering and so on. But as far as individuals— and especially Christians, why does the Lord allow bad things to happen? Why does he allow a Christian couple's child to die? Mm. Why does he allow 
a Christian man to get in a wreck and become paralyzed, for mm. instance. Johnny Erickson Tata. I mean, yeah. her her life is a testimony to why he does it because that woman walks with God. She is full of the Holy Spirit. And yet she was a frivolous-minded girl, you know, when she had that accident. And she probably would have ended up just being a very mediocre Christian at best. But because of the suffering that she went through all the years of her life, man, she has affected a generation. So how do you compare the two, you know? Yeah, she it was horrible what she's had to experience. I mean, if you've ever heard her story, the the suffering is unbelievable, but the rewards in people's lives, how many people were deeply affected, her overall effect on the thinking of, of the church. How do you compare? You know, cuz those effects are eternal and her sufferings have been temporal. I really like the way that you answered that question because what you did was you explained why God sometimes sovereignly moves to basically do something that he knows is good for us that we're not aware of. But sometimes he hasn't acted yet. He's only threatened to act. We see that in the Bible a lot. He's warning people of what's coming if they keep going in a certain direction. And a lot of times, to be honest, it can be terrifying mm-hmm. to hear his words. So what would you say to us about those times when God really threatens us? Well, that's, again, all mercy, because his justice system, it, I've said this before somewhere, it reminds me of the mandatory sentencing laws that are in, in effect in most states, where if you have been convicted three times, for instance, right. you go to prison for life right. or those kinds of things. Okay, God has established in his judicial system certain laws and certain consequences that are just in effect. Mm-hmm. So they're like written in stone. Then he goes in, let's say, more fluid-like <laughs> in the spirit, goes in and wanting to do mercy— where he knows if this person continues down this path, what that justice is going to be. That is immovable, and that's what they're heading into. Mm. So in his mercy, he comes in just nothing but love, Mm. trying to warn them to get them off of the path they're on. And he's trying to protect his people from having to face that justice. It's all mercy. And so then what about when he kind of, in a sense, steps it up and actually actively starts opposing people? Again, all mercy, because if you think of the Christian life as the straight and narrow, which it is, and a narrow path, um, you start to veer off and you start going sideways, going astray, Mm -hmm. and you're headed for disaster. Mm -hmm. He sees that. So what's he do? In his mercy, he stands right in front of you Mm -hmm. like a wall Mm -hmm. and opposes what you're doing, the behavior that is taking you down that path. Mm -hmm. And that it's all mercy again. It's all goodness. Yeah. I want to start wrapping up the interview. We asked your wife this, but I want to ask you as well. When it comes to your personal walk with God, Why does God's attitude towards sin help you trust him? 
because in my 50 years or so of knowing him, I see very clearly now looking back how he has dealt with me regarding my sin issues at times. Mm. And I get I have nothing but trust for him because again, like I just said, he wants to oppose me going down any any paths and he is concerned about my eternal well-being. So I mean, man, what is not the trust there mm. in that? I appreciate the way you're talking about this because we're trying to help people understand that even this side of God that is very uncomfortable to us is motivated by his goodness. And I was thinking about the C.S. Lewis quote in the Chronicles of Narnia where one of the characters says about Aslan, well, he's definitely not safe, but he's good. And today we've been looking at a side of God that shows that he's not safe to our flesh, but he is good to us. And we're talking about it because true Christianity, we have to see God and we have to serve him as he is rather than creating our own version of him that fits our preferences. And I want to get your take on this. Why is it that seeing God as he truly is, is essential to walking in victory over sexual sin? Well, for one thing, we will be standing before him as he truly is, you know, and the narrative we have written in our own minds based on our desires is largely a false narrative. And, you know, okay, we can deceive ourselves, we can lie to ourselves and try to make it into something that it isn't, but, you know, we're going to end up paying the price if we go down that path. So knowing the Lord in reality as mm-hmm. he actually is and reacting to him as he actually right. is, is the only safe course. But if we will do that, we will really come to know him in his goodness. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. One of the frequent examples of God's anger in Scripture is his anger against Israel when they would turn to idolatry and to the sins of the nations around them. And when this happened, God would speak through his prophets, often describing Israel as a wife cheating on her husband. And as we were trying to think on how to tackle this attribute of God, we thought that our co-founder, Kathy Gallagher, could speak into it because she understands, in a human way, what it's like to be betrayed by a spouse. And we also wanted her to talk about how God's anger and human anger are not like each other. But I think that the interview ended up producing a lot more than we were expecting, and Kathy covers a variety of topics, including many things that I hope will help hurting wives who are listening right now. Kathy, we're talking about some deep things in this show today and some things that are hard for us to understand. We want to look at God's anger, and part of what makes God angry is when his people betray him. You hear him speak in the Old Testament, especially, I think, in the book of Hosea. He sounds like a grieving, anguished lover. Mm. And I want to hear from you about this because you know what it's like to be betrayed by a person that you gave yourself to. Can you help us understand what that was like? Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of the anger of God is not an easy subject for me. So I'm going to keep it more personal because my anger is different than God's anger. Mm -hmm. Human anger is very different than God's anger. 
but I do think at some level we can understand his that jilted lover, mm-hmm. the heart of a jilted lover. As I was thinking about this and praying about it, my thoughts go toward <laughs> the man. What was it in his heart before he married her that drew him to her? And what what compelled him to want to make covenant mm. with her? And it's the covenant. In our modern vernacular, we don't talk about covenant, but there was something about that woman that that man wanted to unite himself to more than anybody else. What happened? You mm-hmm. know, what what came in that would cause him to betray that? To It wasn't just betray her. It was just this union mm-hmm. that he had such a, a desire to have with her. And that was the, the cry in me. When I found out that Steve was being unfaithful, the thing that came out of me was, you you gave yourself to me, and I gave myself to you. We were one. How could you? That's the cry of the woman's heart, because she understands the depth of that union. It's for some reason, I don't know if it's just in our modern culture, if this is just like has been there since the beginning of time, but men tend to be more willing, I should say, to drift Mm -hmm. and to wander. And that's not only in marriage, but I think it's spiritually as well. We all, I don't want to be misunderstood, we all drift, we all wander. But when it comes to the covenant of marriage, men seem to be more willing to turn away from that because of the lust of the flesh. And that is that is the bottom line, it's the lust of the flesh, or to put it in biblical terms, to, to bring it back more into focus of what God experienced. God experienced his people committing idolatry, spiritual adultery. They were spiritual harlots, and it grieved him, and it broke him. And but his anger didn't lash out like our anger lashes out in the in the first part. Like when I found out what Steve was doing, it was instant, instant mm. anger, mm. instant rage, instant confusion, instant broken. Mm. It was everything was so instant. With God, it's not really like that. It took a long time for God to get angry to the point of judgment. Mm. So that's why I don't like comparing my anger to God's anger because it's pretty quick for me. Yeah. When you read the Old Testament where God sounds hurt and where he sounds angry because of the betrayal, Mm -hmm. does it, I mean, it sounds like you can kind of grasp something of what he went through. Yeah, I think at some level we can, but not completely because he completely gave himself to Israel and he provided everything they could possibly ever want or need. I mean, he gave everything everything. Mm. So the betrayal, you know, as a wife and someone who's been betrayed, I understand that at some level, but not to the depth that God did, Mm. because I didn't give everything. My desire for marriage was selfish also, 
my desire for my husband was there was some selfishness mm-hmm. in it. Um, it's always a mixed bag. It's never completely pure with God. His his devotion to Israel was completely pure mm. and unselfish. Mm. So to have that breach, continual breach, continual centuries of idolatry and running to other lovers, you get to your breaking point. I understand it in a very human way, but I could never try to pretend like I understand what God went through. I don't know what you can see in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. But again, we read the scriptures through a very human viewpoint, and it really takes the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to help us to really grasp the depth of not just his love, but his anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so hard for us to understand the Lord because we're not like him mm-hmm. and we're sinful, like you said. Um, I'd like for you to talk a little more about maybe some sinful reactions that a wife has when she's being betrayed and help explain why those are not accurate pictures of how God is responding mm-hmm. when we sin against him. Well, yeah, okay. There's a list. <laughs> God isn't full of self-pity. God isn't bitter. Mm. God isn't vengeful. Mm. He's not jealous in a human way. He doesn't want to pay back. Mm. He's not like that, mm. but we are. So I to bring it down to earth <laughs> into the living room of women that are probably listening now, we can become Angry, vengeful, full of self-pity, self-righteous, bitterness. Bitterness is such a big deal for women Mm. because of the... And I'm not saying that they're... It is very understandable, and I get it. I totally get it. The the war for us is to fight against that because it's natural to have those reactions, but it's most ungodlike, and you can really measure where you're at. Spirit, I mean, this, this... this sin coming from our husbands brings out what's in us. I had a dear lady, an older woman, many years ago. I don't know why she did this, but it was so powerful at the moment that she did it. She didn't know me that well. I don't know that she even really knew my testimony very well, but she walked up to me. She wrapped her arms around me and said to me, the most godlike characteristic there is is forgiveness. And it and I had already dealt with my un- – I didn't know that I ever had real unforgiveness, but I had already dealt with it many years mm-hmm. before. But it penetrated my heart so deeply because I knew – it was almost like Jesus was wrapping his arms around me and re-reminding me of how powerful forgiveness is mm. and what it does to the inward life and the soul of the woman mm. because that is the only way that I know of that I could have gone through what I went through. If I would not have had the willingness to forgive the unforgivable, and that only came by the Holy Spirit, because it wasn't in me, naturally speaking. It's not in any of us. Mm -hmm. But the power of forgiveness is power. It is truly powerful. And that is the only way that a woman that does have bitterness raging in her Mm – is to keep going back to that fountain of of life and it and it's God who gives us that gift. 
It comes from him, but yeah. he wants us to have it. If I could virtually or verbally wrap my arms around women that are listening who are devastated and tell them the most godlike characteristic there is is forgiveness, I would do that. I am doing that. I just feel that way that that's how you're going to get through this. You have to keep forgiving. Hmm. That's what God did to us, his enemies, his worst enemies. Yeah. and. Yeah, it's just a very powerful thing. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how the contrast between us and God, he is instant in forgiveness and slow in anger. Yes. And we're instant in anger and slow in forgiveness. We drag our feet with the forgiveness because we have a list of do's and don'ts. We have a list of rules. If I forgive him, he'll just do it again. Mm. That doesn't negate the responsibility. I, uh, there's a chapter in my book, Level Playing Field. I just live here. I can never forget what God has forgiven me of. I don't want to forget what I was. You know, some people say, yeah, the past is in the past, right. and that's fine, and I don't live in my past. But I don't want to forget what I was and what God rescued me from, and it keeps the ground level for me with mm-hmm. everybody. We're all sinners, Mm -hmm. you know? And if I ever get to the place where I forget where I came from, then I start looking down my nose. I become critical. I'm judgmental. I I can't love people properly when Mm -hmm. I'm not in the reality of what has been the debt Mm -hmm. that has been paid for me. And that goes especially for marriage. And it helps a lot for a wife to remember what her debt was. Mm. And how much, yeah, what Jesus did. You know, as you're talking, I'm just reflecting on how important it is for us to daily be in the Word of God mm-hmm. because it's that that place with the Lord where He's speaking to us mm-hmm. in clarity. You know, the whole we, we take for granted maybe how involved the Holy Spirit is in that time when we're saying, I want to be in your Word, I want to know you, how much spiritual clarity there is about our inside world and about who he is that wouldn't be there if we weren't daily with him. He's Mm -hmm. reminding us day by day, I saved you from this. I'm rich in mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm all of these things. Um, And I guess I'm just really grateful for God's word as I'm listening to you talk because in the Word of God that just declares things as they are. And one of the messages over and over in the Word of God is trust me. Mm -hmm. Trust the full revelation of God as he is. Mm -hmm. Is there one specific reaction of God toward the sin of man besides forgiveness that helps you really trust him? Besides forgiveness? My answer to that was going to be Calvary. Mm. Calvary expresses everything about God because Calvary speaks volumes. It's Genesis to Revelation. The heart of God is redemption. Wow. That is the remedy for, for the husband who's in sin and for the wife who will be in sin if she doesn't really fully embrace the revelation of forgiveness, the revelation of Calvary, hmm. and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Those things are so absolutely central to our faith and our trust that with 
You know what happens to Christians, I think? I've been a Christian for a long time, and you get very familiar. Things become familiar. The word becomes familiar, and you think you know. Mm. And when you start to think you already know that, I've already read that, I've already, I've already studied that, you're in trouble mm. because God is becoming dusty to you. And you need the Holy Spirit to come in and break up that fallow ground in your heart. And that could be a real reason why some women just have such a hard time letting go of the sin of their husbands is because God God is not a very present help to them. Mm-hmm. He is, but to them, he's not. Yeah. And their hearts have grown cold. Mm. And the sin that their husbands committed has created such a callous over their hearts. That's what happens to women. That's why I harp. When I have the opportunity, I am constantly harping on the need to forgive Mm. and to let it go and keep loving, keep serving, keep giving yourself away. God will take care of you. Mm. But we look too much to our emotional needs. And not so much to our spiritual needs. And we think that if we get our emotions straightened out, then our spiritual will get straightened out. And that is just so backward. It's just not right. And these are things I have had to learn. I am still learning these things. I don't have it all figured out. I just know, though, there are some things that are basic to doing this. Right. Calvary, the resurrection, faith, and trust. Hmm. Trusting him, no matter what it looks like, you have to put your trust in the Lord. And so you st- you have to turn your eyes away from the sin and the sinner. And this is an effort. This takes monumental effort. Yeah, It does. It takes a lot of effort. But if you can start to do that, life will flow back in because mm. that is your expression of trust to turn away from what's happening and turn to the Lord. And the Word of God will become more real. It will become more alive. It will speak to you. When when you are face down, when you're Mary and not Martha, you will experience Jesus more. It's, I'm not saying this like all your problems are going to go away and you're going to feel great. I am not saying that. I'm just saying there's going to be a reality of God that will help get you through this trial. And the Lord, I know that a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, but the Lord has allowed this. And that has to be looked at. Why did God allow this? And it's it's a very painful thing. But I knew when, when my world broke apart— <laughs> God was speaking to me. He was after something in me. And he, yeah, it was a big, big deal. So, yeah, I hope and pray that some of this stuff helps women that are grappling with these things because we want a quick and easy psychological answer. And it's if you're a Christian, it's not going to happen that way. A pill isn't going to take it away. A trip to psychotherapy session isn't going to take it away. I mean, you can get some temporary Band-Aids, but nothing but the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the washing of the water of the Word and the renewing of your mind is going to do it. That's what has to happen, and it's a lifelong journey.
I brought up Psalm 18 earlier because it's been a great encouragement to me in recent months. If you remember, it spoke about the mountains shaking because of God's anger and about smoke coming up from his nostrils. And the psalm goes on and on like that. But I want to read to you the verses that come before it because what's been a blessing to me is why God was so angry in this psalm. David says four times that death was surrounding him, but then says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then come those terrifying verses. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. God's anger should be terrifying if you are still pursuing your sin because his anger and wrath is against you. But there is a great promise if instead we would turn to him and cry out to him for help. If we would seek him in our need, whether we've been sinful and rebellious or our circumstances seem hopeless and cry out for mercy, he is a God who not only can, but eagerly desires to come and rescue us and to set us free. We know this is true because the greatest revelation of his wrath and mercy in scripture is the cross. And this is where he displayed just how willing he is to help us live in victory. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Purity for Life. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.